welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and I am joined today by Paul Scriven, Lord Paul Scriven, I should say, uh, one of our Yorkshire peers. Uh, Paul is the former leader of um, Sheffield City Council as well, so it's really, really good to have you on, Paul. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Um, sat relaxing and uh probably like most people contemplating the next few weeks and uh, how we progress. Yes, I mean, let's let's kind of jump straight in because the next few weeks and how we start to, I suppose, move out or maybe towards the end of this crisis is going to be crucial. How has it, how has it looked from, from, you know, over in, over in the Lords about how it's been handled so far? Well, I, I think it's quite interesting sat in the Lords because you can take a I think a calmer, more longer term look because you're not up against um, a cycle of elections. So you can mm. look at things a little bit more long term. From where I've sat, look, I I found it really frustrating. I, I do think, and party politics aside, it isn't a party political issue. I think on most of the big issues, the um, the major calls have probably not been the best calls, whether it be about um, stopping yeah. testing and tracing back in March, uh, the date of the lockdown, uh, when it's come to the um, way in which care homes uh, initially were abandoned and left to work by themselves. Then we have the kind of what I call the Whitehall megaphone diplomacy, where Whitehall picks up a megaphone, shouts command and control, mm-hmm. and it thinks that the whole um, local areas in the UK will respond accordingly. Uh, so it, it has been frustrating from that point of view. I think the interesting thing, uh, even despite all the kind of muddle and the uh, uh, issues which have arisen, the uh, the kind of people have just, I think, been remarkably composed on the whole, uh, carried out um, instructions to stay at home and to protect themselves, their loved ones and their communities. Uh, and then I think beginningly, a bit like uh, an animal coming out of hibernation, starting to wake up and very carefully now beginning to leave uh, their hibernation, work out uh, what happens uh, over the next couple of months and possibly the next year or so. Yeah, it's tentative, isn't it? I often wonder, you know, we, we the, the Lords is somewhere that not all of our readers will often pay much attention to, if I'm completely honest with you. Sorry, Paul. Um, <laughs> That's OK. But, you know, what, what, <laughs> why, why is it important, do you think, to have that chamber like yours where you guys like you say can take a bit of a broader view of it where you don't have that election cycle where you can take a step back and say right let's look at this in the whole why is that why is that so key well, well I don't want to come across Jerry as somebody who supports a, a non-democratically um, uh, unelected house because I don't I I do want to see a change in the Lords and a, uh, what I'd call a Senate mm-hmm. maybe for a 10-year term one term and um that would be it for a, for a senator. But I think, again, that would give them a long-term view. I think taking the long-term is you can probably say things and you can probably do things 
uh, in the long-term interest, which sometimes the short election cycle means that people are always seeking maybe where the next vote's coming from or what will happen uh, next. Mm -hmm. So it, it does give you a sense of perspective. It also brings together uh, a group of people who um, some are not uh, politicians by uh, previous life, particularly the crossbenchers, the independents, who can give a um, yeah. who can give a, a different view. And therefore, I think that the kind of debate and the looking at things isn't automatically what's for my party advantage. It's what is in the best interest, maybe particularly at the moment, to get us through this um, appalling. Uh, public health crisis that we're in and how do we emerge either having to live with it long term or some short term measures which means restrictions of liberties and freedoms that we used to uh, in the interests of keeping people safe and keeping people alive so I, I think it does give you that perspective let me give you an example so right at the beginning yeah, of this um, when the um, original laws were going through Parliament. Um, because of my age, I'm uh, uh, seen as quite a young lord, even though I'm <laughs> 54. Uh, most people, when the bill was going through the Lords, it was a time when uh, people were being asked to stay at home. So there was a, a small yeah. group of us, um, and I was on what's known as the Liberal Democrat Bill Team. That's a, a group of maybe four of you who uh, in detail work on the bill and because uh, I was um, under 70 I was asked to work on our bill I do have some health experience I worked in the health service for a while um, and I could foresee what was happening so I wasn't just dealing with the here and now I was thinking how is this going to progress so on the 25th of March for example I put down an amendment in the Lords asking for local authorities to have a power of direction and what that means in uh, ordinary speak is the power to be able to do things um, at speed to make things happen to keep people safe in the area. Now at the time the government said that wasn't required, they believed it could be run from Whitehall. Um, because of my experience as a former leader of a council and seeing um, and my health experience I could see the two things coming together which meant that uh, areas, towns and cities and um, local boroughs would have to make decisions if there were local spikes um, now the government refused to accept that at sure. the time of course here we are now in um, uh, July and the, the government have realized that's needed so that's the kind of thing you can do when you can take a longer view you're not kind of on the treadmill of uh, just dealing with the immediate crisis but able to take a little more what I call a helicopter view get in the helicopter go up look down um, and take a longer term view um, and it's those kind of things which I think a second chamber needs whether it be in its present form or whether it be an elected um, chamber which is as I say possibly for 10 years one year term uh, one term of 10 years uh, it allows people in that chamber to have a different perspective to the MPs who um, I do think on the whole take a more short-term view yeah and I think you're talking about there you know that experience in local authority and that long-term view I think now the government seems to be coming around to the idea or maybe admitting that they knew it all along, but like I say, didn't want to say it publicly, that local authorities really need that grip on things. They're now getting, I think, postcode level data and can identify the exact people in their areas that have have the coronavirus. And it's something that 
off of the podcast you and I've spoken about that it's been a frustration in local authorities that they haven't had that data isn't it they haven't had that flow all the time is that what you've been hearing as well it is actually I mean it's um I mean it is quite surprising considering we're such a small country um we are very Mm. very very kind of um far from where real power takes place and on the whole that is white hall and london i mean it it beggars belief and you can probably tell by my frustration and and kind of frustration even being able to get the words out what on earth would somebody sat behind a desk in whitehall whether it be a uh, senior official or a minister feel it wasn't appropriate to give detailed information down to a local director of public health and a council so they who have people with shoes on the streets in their towns their villages their their cities are able to respond fastly to where spikes or potential spikes are coming i mean it, it just beggars belief both on a practical level and on uh, an organisational level, you know, what countries who have got on top of this fast show, whether it be Taiwan or whether it be South Korea or closer to home Germany, they've really allowed local decision making uh, and local people to get out into the communities as fast as possible on the back of having good data good information to follow where the virus is beginning to take hold and to literally put a a wedge between uh, those who have got the virus or potentially got the virus and the rest of the community so it doesn't spread and and that information flow is vital and government you know know that they know that if you don't have data at Whitehall they can't do things and the same is uh, the same applies whether it be in Ripon or whether it be in Rotherham whether it be in York or whether it be um, in maybe um, Thirsk that if local uh, politicians and directors of public health and chief executives of councils don't have the data they can't get people into those uh, states those shopping areas to begin to take the action that's needed to keep us all safe so it, it, it is frustrating and, and it just beggars belief why uh, it's only just begun to flow and the taps have been turned on by Whitehall it, it is quite incredible and actually it's done a disservice I think to um public health england for not um, turning the tap on but it's also actually made some of us probably less safe in our local communities because local uh, public health departments and people on the ground in our communities have not been able to get to those who potentially had the virus before they showed symptoms to stop the spread of it and that's why it's so uh, frustrating and, and, and incredible that it's not happened these directors of public health they're the experts, aren't they? You know, I, I think kind of, um, you don't obviously don't really hear from them that much during the, when there isn't an emergency. I think we tend to hear from them when there's a, when the winter's coming around and they start worrying about flu and things like that. But they really do know what's going on in their communities. And my impression of it was always that if they're only getting data on a local authority, upper local authority level, you know, you could say, well, there's, 500 cases in this one area but that area could be massive so that might not be such a worry but if there's 500 cases in one road or on one estate then suddenly you've got a real issue haven't you that's the difference between 
the data being so important I think because you know it's um it's that having that that granular data and like you say I think it's mad that it's taken so long to get there I mean it, it's like sending um, it's like sending us out to shop to be honest and uh, with a shopping list uh, written by somebody um kind of in your household and they say i want something from mile 13 at the supermarket rather than saying actually it's a it's strawberry jam that i want um, on aisle 13 you know you're left wondering what on earth is going on what 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 is aisle 13 got that somebody wants rather than being really specific so yes it, it, it is quite incredible impractical uh, and probably has done the disservice i say from keeping us safe uh, and and reducing the spread of the virus mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's important to kind of recognise whilst we're talking about local authorities having that control and knowing what's best for their communities. You know, this is something that we hear a lot about from this government, that they want local areas to take control in terms of devolution and things like that. And we've seen various deals agreed in Yorkshire and they want to hand over this control. So I was slightly surprised I suppose that this was such a centralized effort and I I guess uh, to begin with it would be no one knew what was happening it was an unknown everyone was hands to the pumps let's get it sorted but I was surprised that more didn't come down the road earlier in terms of handing over that responsibility and for the recovery as well we haven't quite seen what's going to happen there yet about if powers or money and funding is going to be handed over to for example Dan Jarvis in South Yorkshire to to build his recovery is that is that something you would like to see well i think there's got to be a partnership i i, I mean I, this is an area that really interests me i think the the debate about devolution deals and powers and responsibilities locally and nationally i think has been quite narrow over the last few years regarding devolution deals and i don't mm-hmm. disagree with devolution deals i just don't think they're the magic um wand that everybody feels are going to solve the um, structural problems, why we have such a, a, an unequal um, country in terms of economically and socially, and are they going to be the uh, magic uh, way in which uh, real economic power and um, social regeneration takes place? They're going to help. The, the real issue is partnership, um, and partnership between national and local government. But I think my frustration is the whole debate, whether it be about South Yorkshire deal, whether it be about the one Yorkshire deal, uh, whether it be about what's going on in North Yorkshire um, and districts and um, upper tier uh, authorities. It's all about structure. It's all about lines mm. on maps. It's all about yeah. what the structure of the uh, body that's going to deliver. I think we've got to change the debate is there are things which are probably best dealt with at a very local level through a council, through a town council, a parish council, mm-hmm. um, a city council, a borough. That's fine. There are things then that are probably better dis- uh, can work at a sub-regional level, maybe some transport issues at the sub-regional level, local bus services, for example. There are then things that work really well at a regional level, our train service, maybe um universities collaborating to make a real hubs of um, innovation at a regional level um, and then there may be things which take place at a, a bigger level the national level so I, I think we've got to start talking about what it is that we want to do and achieve at each level before we decide which body's best whether it be the the Yorkshire uh, the one Yorkshire whether it be the 
South Yorkshire devolution deal? Because the interesting thing is both are going to be needed if we're going to unlock the potential Mm -hmm. of our towns and cities and our region. So it'll be things where the uh, councils and businesses of South Yorkshire need to collaborate and work better on. But there are also things then which at a regional level we're going to have to work together on and uh, collaborate to actually unleash the potential of our total region. So I think the debates kindly for me has got into this structural debate about what the body looks like rather than what is it that we want to achieve at each level to lay down ladders of opportunity so businesses young people um, our um, estates our um, tourism can flourish and deliver its maximum potential rather than just focus on whether it be a body a which might be south yorkshire body b which might be the one yorkshire the irony is if we're going to be a more federal country with powers and responsibilities handed down we are going to need both actually and much more is going to have to uh, leave Whitehall, leave London and going to have to come to different bodies at different levels within a locality and then at a regional level. Um, and you know, it, it, it is a, you know, it's testimony to how we lag behind other regions in Europe and the world that the centralised system that we've had in the UK you know, over consecutive governments doesn't work and it's mm-hmm. time to unleash uh, what really could happen in Yorkshire in South Yorkshire in North Yorkshire but not get focused on what the body is that's going to deliver it talk about what we need to achieve and then work out which bodies are required to have the maximum effect to unleash those powers and lay down those ladders of opportunity so people and businesses can climb them because it is all about people and kind of how we can improve their lot in life I think as, as well I mean it's, it's it's interesting by the time um our our um conversation today is out on our podcast the South Yorkshire deal will have been in front of uh, you guys and the Lords and um I imagine we'll uh we'll get a good showing there as well but it's like you say there's all these different parts to play and that's exactly the argument that's being fought in North Yorkshire as we speak where they want to well the government has said if they want a devolution deal they're going to have to create unitary authorities one or two maybe three who next um and basically do away with their district councils but like you say there there are roles for these these district councils to have those you know really local impacts so it's interesting to see where it goes and one of one of my interests questions I want to ask you really is if you know when you had your experience heading up Sheffield do you feel if you were in that job now that government has become any less centralized or more or pretty much the same I think in reality it is more or less the same I mean even though Mm. we're going to get some powers to be able to um make decisions about uh, transport or skills um, an extra 30 million pounds a year uh, to help the economy grow the reality is the vast majority of funds and the vast majority of decisions are still taken by central government so it is a it's a scraping on the surface really of um, how uh, 
devolution is happening. And I actually don't call it devolution. Devolution, I think, is radical. What we have in these devolution deals is decentralization, just the handing out of very small parts of Whitehall power with strings attached out to local areas mm. so they can probably administer them slightly better and make small changes. You know, there is no talk, real devolution would be talk about possibly uh, local areas being able to develop certain taxes or certain levies or uh, change the amount that they um, charge compared to other areas in the country which is complex but actually isn't um, reinventing the wheel if you take a look across many uh, countries in Europe very close to home local areas have those types of powers that's real devolution where leave us to um, uh, create incentives for people to come or leave us to create tax revenue if that's what you wish to do are available to local um, areas uh, and local people can decide whether there are good things or bad things through the ballot box. At the moment, all that's been handed out is you administer what's already been decided from Whitehall slightly different, and you can change them different. Uh, you can make slight changes. So I think um, you know, it's those kind of real uh, serious and um, radical ideas that we're going to have to get into if we are going to unleash the powers of local people through their local institutions to begin to make clever, smart and radical changes to their the base of their economy, the base of their tax power, uh, the uh, incentives that they can give to help uh, local people meet their uh, full potential and to uh, set a different economic uh, approach for their locality. Well, something that has been floated, which some people think is quite radical for decentralisation, is um, moving not just the House of Lords, but the House of Commons out of London, hasn't it? In in recent weeks, we've been hearing about that. What are your What are your thoughts on moving the House of Lords to York, Paul? Well, look, I, I love York. Uh, I, I uh, in fact, I, <laughs> I said I worked in the health service. I lived there for just over two and a half years. It's where yes. I did my It's where I did my management training in the health service. So I've got very fond memories of York. I have friends who live there now and I, I go back and I visit whenever I can. My my um one of my godsons is uh, is, is is in York. So I've got a I've got an affinity to York. I love York, yeah. I love its people. Um it helped me in my career. But but let's be real, moving the House of Lords or even the House of Commons and the House of Lords temporary to York is not going to create massive change in the um, inequalities and where real power lies in in the country. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's 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 a token rather than a systematic change that's needed. And some of the things we've talked about um, uh, in in this podcast about the tax raising powers about radical reform about new systems being able to create um, at a locality or a regional level is what's really needed so while it might be uh, a token while it might be a symbol uh, to movers to uh, york in reality it's not going to change the fundamental structural imbalance that uh, uh, England in particular has in terms of its its regions uh, and its areas to be able to economically and socially regenerate so 
I'm a bit kind of agnostic on the move to York. I think it's a, a token, um, but and it's not going to achieve the um, it's not going to achieve the desired effect of radically leveling up, as the government says. Um, but um, at the mm. same time, I don't have a kind of I'm going to die in the trenches to stop. Um, you know, on a temporary basis, Parliament, it has to be the whole of Parliament, uh, the House of Lords and the House of Commons moving up there. But let's be clear, it is a token. It is not um, uh, an alternative for radically changing the power structure and the ability of local people through local political institutions to be able to make significant changes to their economy and their social structure. So, um, you know, it might be nice to see the House of uh, Lords and Commons up there temporary, but it isn't going to do <laughs> what it wants, what it, what, what the government and what uh, Boris Johnson says that it will, they want to achieve through it. Tokenism never achieves significant change, which is required to, um, as I say, unleash the uh, great potential of our county. Yes, I think someone uh, on Twitter suggested the other day that maybe that was uh, inserted in there simply to uh, give the Yorkshire Post a headline. I couldn't possibly <laughs> comment. I'm sure that wasn't the case at all. Uh, the, York, the Yorkshire <laughs> but, uh, Post is such a great it did, it did give the Yorkshire Post a headline. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need that, no. Quite exactly, right. Quite right. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Pod Zone Country, Paul. It's been really great to talk about these issues with you because it's a different perspective from the Lords, I think. So it's really, really interesting to hear what you have to say. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much and um, have a good weekend. Thank you so much for listening to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I've been Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and we'll be back next week, not in a fortnight, because as I mentioned last time, over the summer, we are going to be bringing weekly episodes directly to your inbox. Um, next week, I'll be joined by the Yorkshire Post political editor, Rob Parsons, and he'll be chatting to some of our local reporters about what's going on in the, on the ground in Yorkshire. And I'm also hoping to assemble a panel to talk to us about the issues of the day. So we'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you usually get your podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Google, Spotify, and please do leave us a review, share and tell your friends and make sure you subscribe because it really helps boost us in the charts. Speak to you soon. This weekend at Augusta, it's the Masters. And with 50% off a now sports membership, you can catch every, every, every and every watch all four days of the masters live with 50 percent off a now sports membership for three months bringing you all 11 sky sports channels join in at nowtv.com 18 plus streamed via internet offer ends 2nd of may standard pricing after three months